Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners and podcast listeners. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you currently stressed out, cash crunched, or fed up with your business? If you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem, or maybe that it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has become too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, and I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who comes to you saying they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a YouGurus strategy call where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your strategy call. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of The Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we are hanging out with Marcel Petipa. He is the CEO and co-founder of Parakito, a software company that helps agencies run more profitably. Their website's homepage says track time against estimates so you never go over budget. I'm sure that's something that you're interested in learning more about, and that's why Marcel's here with us today. After Marcel got his start with Apple and dealing with some big box retailers like Best Buy, Marcel left in 2015 to try his hand at entrepreneurship, and he has um, been an accomplished speaker. He's had a consulting company and uh, built a large network of really high-profile mentors, um, which he credits with some of his success through uh, Parakito. Actually got introduced to... um, Marcel through a mutual friend, Dan Martell, who is going to be on our show here in the next week or so. And today, Marcel uh, spends his time running Parakito remotely and uh, watching the show The Office on a never-ending loop. Marcel, welcome to the program. (laughs) Thanks, Brent. Appreciate it. So, uh, Marcel, so you started um, this this uh, company, software platform, Parakito. Uh, I mentioned a little bit in the intro about what it, it's all about. Can you just give us a little bit in your own words about uh, what Parakito is and uh, and kind of the purpose behind that software tool? Absolutely. Yeah. So I uh, got involved in Parakeeto about a year ago when I got a call from Dan, actually, introducing me to an agency owner who is now my co-founder, Jared. And um, he basically said, hey, I've got this idea for a problem that I'm trying to solve in my business where 
I've got all these timesheets and I've got all these estimates and I've got project management tools and CRM and accounting reports. And I find myself having to pull these all together to figure out how my business is doing. If I'm profitable, if my team is utilized, uh, what services I should be doubling down on. Um, and he just basically asked himself, why has nobody come up with a way to automate this? Um, and so that's kind of our vision with Parakeeto is to create a business intelligence tool specifically for digital agencies so they don't have to build a ton of spreadsheets to figure out if their business is running well or not. And today we're starting with a very simple product that essentially is, in our mind, the best and easiest way to create budgets for client work that align perfectly with the time entries that your team tracks so that you can automate the process of figuring out if you're profitable and understand uh, in real time what your effective billable rates are on all your different clients, projects, and deliverables. That's a mouthful. Uh, so would you say, um, you mentioned time tracking and, uh, so are you guys actually in your tool? Are you doing time tracking or are they coming in and inputting it? And then you're giving them, I think what you mentioned was kind of these business intelligence tools to then analyze and present that data in a way that actually makes sense. Yeah. So today for the, uh, that's a great question, by the way, today for the very early version of the product, we are doing our own time tracking. And the reason we did that was it was actually faster and easier to build our own time tracking tool than to try and integrate with some of the tools that are already out there. The reason behind that was that what we found is most of the time tracking tools that exist today are three-dimensional in that they think about client work in terms of there's a client, there's a project, and then there's a bunch of tasks or services within that project. But the disconnect for us was generally when we're working with clients, and we see this in a lot of other agencies as well, there's the client and then there's usually multiple deliverables and each of those deliverables will have tasks and so on. And so it's it becomes kind of a project soup in a time tracking tool and it can become really hard to accurately map time entries back to kind of a larger engagement with a client. And so rather than try to <laughs> figure all of that out, we just said, what's the fastest thing that we can do? And it turned out to be, let's just build our own tool for now and then figure out how we can uh, integrate with other tools a little bit later. So did I hear that correctly, that you created a fourth dimension to time tracking? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of what makes uh, us a little bit unique is that we allow you to have a contract and within that contract have multiple deliverables. And then within each of those deliverables, you can have your kind of services or tasks so that when your team is tracking time, all of that gets rolled up and you can look at it all on one screen and understand here's how we're doing on this whole contract, but also here's how we're doing on each individual piece. And if you happen to be a multi-service agency and you do, you know, part of the engagement is hourly and part of it is a flat rate. And then maybe some of it is a monthly retainer. You can still have all of that stuff under the one contract and assess the profitability of each piece without having to, again, build a ton of spreadsheets or bang your head against the wall, trying to get the data to match up to the contract or the proposal that you wrote with the client. So there's obviously a lot of, uh, and you mentioned that you looked at some time tracking apps to um, to potentially integrate with. So your agency co-founder, uh, these problems that they had were experiencing in their business. So that there really was no other tool that pulls this all together, or is there any kind of similar uh, competitive platforms that um, that are out there? 
That's a great question. So we did a real deep dive on this um, because obviously if there was a solution out there that he could just pay for, he would have done that sooner than invest all the money that it's taken to try and build our own thing. Um, but what we found was that there was a couple of different solutions out there and none of them really did the trick. So the first obvious one was there's all these really great all-in-one agency management platforms. And some of these are really fantastic products. I and mean, we're talking about things like Mavenlink and Function Point, and you know, there's all kinds of them out there. Um, and the inherent issue that he had with those was they own the project management piece, they own the time tracking piece, they own basically almost everything inside of the agency with maybe the exception of accounting. And so to try and get his entire team to move on to something that was kind of a, an all-in-one platform, to him wasn't really feasible. There was too much of a switching cost and he didn't feel that those tools were going to be best of breed in some of their individual aspects. For example, project management, that's a really tough one to switch off of if you finally find a platform that works well for you. So he found that that was a gap with some of those, even though many of them, because they own every piece, can do a really good job of automating a lot of this reporting. And then on the flip side of that, there were kind of your age, your your business intelligence dashboards, which would be things like Tableau and Domo. And you know, there's all these different solutions for essentially integrating with all of your tools and pulling in metrics. But the shortcoming with most of those were they couldn't really do any of the math that's required to get agency-specific insights. So for example, if you want to know what your average billable rate is on a specific deliverable for a specific client, you need to do some calculations around that. And none of these dashboarding solutions are really good at that. They're really only good at saying, what's the metric that you want to pull from that tool and this tool? And they just display them on a dashboard. So he couldn't really get 100% of the way there with a dashboarding solution. And he didn't feel that an all-in-one solution was right for his business. And in the middle, we couldn't really find something that uh, was doing a good job of meeting those needs. So uh, that's when we started on the journey of trying to fix that problem. So you have one, you know, your co-founder who has this problem. Um, how, how did you guys approach this in terms of, you know, he has the problem. Do other agency owners have the problem? I mean, is this really a software product that's worth building or is this just something that he needs to fund and build for his own agency? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, and this was the first thing that I was tasked with when we had this conversation. I, I think he was pretty convinced that he wanted to build this for his own agency, but um, I've always been very conservative and I've always really believed in validating things before we invest in them, especially when it comes to software, just because of how inherently costly it can be to not just build something, but build in the wrong direction. That can be um, really disastrous for a company. So I immediately said, you know, we need to go talk to a lot of agencies and figure out if we're onto something here or not. And so I spent all of last summer essentially sending out thousands of cold emails. And so some of the people that are listening to this have probably received an email from me and I apologize if you did, but uh, I think I sent out 3000 cold emails to agencies all across North America, basically just asking for advice and saying, Hey, listen, we, we have this idea. And we'd love to just learn how you do things in your agency, what some of the gaps are, how you track your profitability, how you're tracking your metrics, what tools you're using for that, and try to identify what the challenges, gaps, and shortcomings were with some of the systems that other people were using. Um, and it was about 60 interviews later that we finally said, okay, I think there's something here. And uh, we really thought that the idea was 
what we would call validated. And it really wasn't until um, we had pre-sold a few licenses to our software that we really knew, okay, this problem is, is severe enough that people are willing to basically send money to people they don't know because they want to solve that badly. There's a few things you brought up that I definitely want to dive in deeper. Um, but before I, before I go into that, because I want to I want to come back to this conversation around these interviews you set up here. I mm. feel like a lot of you know being a, uh, a former digital agency owner myself, and I know I spend every day around digital agency owners, and they have staff, and they can build software, and build websites, and build apps. And I find that it's a really common thing for agency owners to almost fall into a little bit of a trap of like I have a problem. I can build software, therefore I should build this software for other people like me, like these kind of agency side projects. And sometimes there's a few examples out there where they went swimmingly well. I think like Hootsuite and a couple of other apps out there are examples of this that that came out of agencies. Uh, but then there's also kind of this, um, you know, uh, <laughs> trail of agency side projects that went nowhere and even in some cases cratered the agency. Um, was, I mean, I guess you were coming into your, in, into Parakeeto as a co-founder. I assume your background is more software development. Were you a part of the agency to begin with or, or Dan just introduced you? Like, was this really a side project of the agency or did you guys approach this as a completely separate business? Um, so originally the idea actually was born with Jared's agency at my co-founder. So he came up with this idea because he was experiencing the pain and much to, to what you spoke to there recently, um, yeah, he, he was just like, I'm going to build this, or at least he had the intention of building it because he wanted it for himself. But the thought was maybe some other people could use it. And my background is mostly in business development, sales, marketing, and now validation and this whole process of customer discovery and, and product management in terms of making sure that what we're building actually aligns with true needs that people have. And that's where the marriage kind of happened. He's obviously got a lot of empathy for our core customer and for the problem that we're solving. I understood what it was like to run a service business because I had done that in the past through doing some consulting and some of the early things that I did when I quit my job at Apple and started kind of going off on my own. But um, yeah, to, to basically answer your question, we just knew early on when I got involved that we had to go out and do validation before investing any significant amount of time and money into this because just having you know him with the problem, it was a good start. And we knew that if other people had it, that would end up being a really good thing because we, we were always basically living in that problem space. But um, to your point, we, that's a big assumption. And we had to make sure that uh, we weren't building something based on an assumption when we move forward. And I hope that our audience is listening closely because I'm sure there's a lot of agencies owner, agency owners out there right now who have had an idea or have seen a problem in their own business and think, gosh, I should build a piece of software to solve this problem and then I should take it to market and actually try to sell it. And you guys had this really critical step in this process of doing customer development. I assume that's what you're talking about. And this is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. I have spent many, many hours uh, immersed in customer development and I'm a really big fan of this process. Um, you've mentioned a lot of keywords like, um, you know, we wanted to test our assumptions and we wanted to validate our ideas and we wanted to pre-sell. Um, so let's, let's dive into this topic of customer development. Cause I think that's something that you can add a lot of value to people, um, into our audience about. So you guys had this idea, 
there was a problem that you identified with his business. You wanted to go out there and quote unquote validate it. Um, can you walk us through what that means and what your process was to make that happen? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the, the first step um, for us was we had to essentially identify what our riskiest assumptions were. So we, we had this idea for our products and we had this idea for, you know, how people would use it. And we had to start listing out essentially all the assumptions that we have. People would be willing to change this process internally, or people recognize that they have this problem. And it's all the things that if this is true, then our business works. But if it's not true, our business doesn't work. So we had to be really honest with ourselves about like, we think that people, um, know and understand that they should be tracking, you know, these core metrics in their business. But if people don't consistently know and understand this, then they're not going to see any value in our product and it's not going to work. So we need to validate that this is actually true. Um, so we first started with that process of like, here's our biggest assumptions. And then it was just a question of getting in front of a, a volume of people that would give us the answers to those questions at a rate that it would become statistically significant or that we could at least draw some reliable conclusion from those answers. And that was really difficult because we didn't have an existing base of clients or, you know, a blog or a list or, you know, people that we could just reach out to and say, Hey, let's get on a phone call. So we had to do it cold, which was, you know, it was not fun. And this is where I think if you are an agency owner and you've got a list or you've got existing clients, it's a really exciting opportunity because you can just pick up the phone and start learning really, really quickly. Um, once you've identified those assumptions, but that was kind of the first step for us. The second step was to design a framework for the interview where we would be asking questions that were unbiased. So we weren't, we we're trying to be really cognizant of not adding bias to that conversation so that we'd be getting actual authentic feedback from the people that we're interviewing and making sure that all the interviews were consistent. Um, so because really this is an experiment and we don't want every test or every interview to be slightly different or ask them different questions. We want to keep that consistent. So we had to design a series of questions that were going to help us validate those assumptions without necessarily guiding um, the person that we're asking those questions um, too much and getting biased feedback. Um, and then essentially, can we you, just had to set you, uh, parameters. Yeah, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, Marcel. There, can, can you give us an example of a question that might be biased? I mean, I think, you know, at a high level, I understand what you're saying, and hopefully our audience does. But like, what do you, what do you mean by ask them questions that wouldn't give them, you know, wouldn't be biased? Sure. Yeah. So a, a great example of this might be something like, um, you know, would you agree that it's important to track your average billable rate versus saying, you know, what are the most important metrics that you track in your agency? Um, and I think, or, you know, saying something like, uh, it's a better example than that, but I think you get the, the concept. It's hard to come up with it right <laughs> on the spot. And I can't really remember exactly what those questions were that we asked a year ago. I'd have to bring up um, the questions I mean, that we I think asked, the example you shared is good because, I mean, it says like, look, um, you know, you're kind of putting a metric into their mind and whether or not they actually think that's valuable or whether they actually ever think about that, they might say, oh, yeah, of course, I agree with that. But whether they actually do that or not, I think is what you're after. Like, are they actually interested in that versus are they just saying that because that's the right thing to say? I, th I, I think I understand that from that example. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. 
So you designed um, this framework. You got your questions. Like this sounds like just getting this, designing your experiment was a big part of it, uh, mm-hmm. which I think if people are engaged in any kind of customer development or customer interviews, that could be a really easy step to overlook of how important the questions are. This isn't just something that you throw together. It's not the same thing as doing like sales discovery. You guys are actually running an experiment to figure out if the problems or or issues that that you're assuming the market has that they actually have. You got it. I think a really important part of that as well was uh, there was often a conversation at the beginning of the call where people would be like, oh, like, do you want to show me what you're working on? And we had to be really disciplined about saying we would love to, but we have a few questions for you before we do that. Because the last thing that we wanted to do was to tell them about our idea or show them a a mock-up or something like that. And then we knew that that was going to totally bias the entire interview. So we wanted to make sure that we did end up showing them some stuff and getting some feedback on that, but it wasn't until after we got this really critical information that was telling us if this is even something that's in their headspace um, on a consistent basis or not. So you have your questions. Uh, we want to make sure our questions are biased, and we also are careful about what we show them. Um, what what was next in your process? So the next process was just getting in front of enough people to run enough interviews that we felt we had some statistical significance to the answers that we were getting. And so that just became, you know, like a pure hustle. So it was getting emails and emailing people and testing different email scripts to see which ones people would actually respond to booking calls, getting on those calls, recording them, taking notes, going back, watching the recordings again, and then making sure that we were logging the answers and the calls and the notes in a way that we could go back and reference them um, and you know, identify patterns. I think this is uh, an opportunity that is easy to miss is there's no point in getting all of this data if you can't go back and make sense of it and identify patterns and identify you know, common traits, common challenges. And um, I think if you jump into this, and this is a problem that I've had in the past, is I just try to execute on things very, very quickly. I'm a doer. I'm not exactly an integrator. Uh, so sometimes I just jump into things too quickly. And that can end up with call recordings you know, stored in five different places and you know, 12 different templates for notes that you're taking and four different spreadsheets where you've logged things. Um, so it was really important to make sure that we standardized all of that so that Um, it was easy to go back and reference all of the data that we were collecting afterwards. Um, And yeah, I mean, after that, it was really just a question of hustling to get to our desired number of interviews. And then eventually we we set a target for pre-sales as well, where we said, once we started to understand that there was something here, we started to kind of dial in um, the piece at the end, which was switching from customer development into now doing a bit of a demo and then basically asking them, hey, you know, is this something that you're interested in? Would you like to get early access um, to the app for you know, this many dollars and seeing if people would actually be willing to make an investment? We ended up refunding that money. It was like we really didn't have any way to deliver something quickly. But um, I think that was a really important exercise and something that I want to bring up. Uh, I think a big mistake that people make when they're going to that second phase of validation, which is understanding if the market's willing to pay for something, they have a tendency to just kind of show whatever it is that they're doing and ask for feedback. And me being Canadian, uh, this is a really big problem for me. People just want to be nice. So they're like, oh yeah, it's cool. It's great. Yeah, I would totally use that. 
Um, but the conversation changes dramatically when all of a sudden you say, cool, well, if you like it, um, you know, well, there's an opportunity for you to get involved and this is the investment. And now all of a sudden you're going to get to that second tier of what criteria actually needs to be in place for people to make an investment. And you start to essentially prepave everything that you're going to need to do to get any level of traction with this idea that you have. Um, and that's a really critical step, I think, is asking for money, whether or not you have the intention of actually delivering something to them. And if, if that's the case, just giving them the money back right away, but testing, are they willing to throw down for this? Or are they just being nice and giving me feedback because they're nice people and they want to be kind? So did you literally like know that you were going to refund them right after you accepted the money? There was a period of time when we were optimistic and we thought we could build a product quickly enough to deliver. Um, mm, and we okay. quickly realized that that wasn't going to happen and we but, just refunded. <laughs> <laughs> but I could, I mean, I get, I, I totally get what you're saying. It, it almost feels like one of those, uh, kind of like almost like a hidden camera show. Like we ask him <laughs> for the money just to validate it. Okay, cool. We're going to go ahead and give you this money back. But I can imagine that that is some level. I mean, if you guys are doing it the right intention of, you know, that, that you maybe were optimistic and you did end up having to refund them, which I think sounds like the right thing to do. Um, but I could also imagine a scenario where you literally are just asking to test your hypothesis and there's never any real intention of actually accepting or cashing their check, um, which is, you know, but, but validation, I think, is what's important because there is a huge difference between asking somebody, theoretically, would you buy this? Like, would you consider buying this in the future? Like people, most people, especially if you're doing face-to-face, -face, I don't know if you were doing yours face-to-face, -face, sounds like you're doing them over, over the web, but um, I think a lot of people want to be nice and want to say, oh, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd probably invest in this, but then you know, cool. What are your, what are your 16 digits or whatever? They're going to be like, ah, yeah, <laughs> never mind. Oh, 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 I got to ask my wife. Right. Um, so, so this is, this is really interesting. And I, and I want to just bring in a couple of things that you've mentioned over the course of this interview. You said that you sent out 3000 cold emails asking for advice to get these interviews and you did 60 interviews. Yeah. So these aren't small numbers. Like it's not like, Oh, I took my software idea and I talked to a couple of buddies. I mean, doing outreach to 3000 people. And I assume it sounds like you did personalized outreach to 3000 people. Like this wasn't just like throw them into active campaign and hit go. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like a, a highly segmented mail merges. So it'd okay. be like batches of, you know, anywhere from 20 to a hundred, uh, emails. So it was a, it, yeah, I needed to use some form of automation to get that kind of scale without completely losing my marbles. But, um, there, we, we figured out a way to kind of segment lists so that the emails were still highly personalized, but they could be done in batches. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a hustle for sure. How much did your idea change over this process of what your co-founder, the agency owner and yourself, um, had in your heads as being the, um, you know, the end tool or the end solution, you know, prior to this process of customer development happening, what, how much was, was the gap right between what you started with in your head and what, what you all ended up producing after these interviews? So that's an interesting question because, um, the gap wasn't that big. However, um, there were some small tweaks. Uh, objectively, they look small, but when you get into actually developing the software, they were significant in terms of how we were going to set up kind of the base 
data foundation um, and how that was going to scale into a larger product. And one of the mistakes that I think we made is we were we started kind of building that foundation a little early because Jared wanted to use something in his agency. And then we actually ended up having to go back and make some pretty significant changes to that after we had done some interviews and discovered um, that we needed to approach things a little bit differently. And I think a lot of the things that we had made assumptions on that we then had to go back and and rejig were really around the processes that Jared had in place in his agency because of the type of work that he did, the types of clients that he was working with and the way he had his team structured. Um, and then going out and speaking to a large volume of agencies and discovering that um, we had to open that up and make it a little bit more flexible. So for example, you know, there are some agencies that price things very differently. Some of them sell sprints. Some of them do, you know, monthly retainers. Some of them do like a monthly flat fee and it's non-refundable. Some of them do a monthly flat fee and part of it is refundable. So we had to really start thinking about, okay, when people are creating budgets and estimates in our software and when they're tracking time, how do we accommodate some of those different ways of doing things and which ones do we ignore and which ones do we actually focus on? Um, and how does that affect the way that data gets passed into the other extensions of the app that we want to create in the future? Um, so I think we, we had a really solid idea and I don't think we were that far off directionally, but there was some, a lot of nuanced stuff that I'm really glad we figured out this early because it would have been, tragic, honestly, to try and release something without having gone through this process and then realizing that we had to go back and kind of redo it all. Yeah. I, I, I find that that's, I mean, you know, I think in the software, pure software development space, customer development, I think has become more prevalent. Uh, but because most or a lot of agencies are building software or they're building apps that their clients are coming to them and saying, hey, we want you to build this. We're going to pay you to do it. And it's like one client kind of fits the bill for it versus having a market fit the bill for it. That sometimes I see agency owners build their own app or they build their own tool and they just think, oh, we can just launch this and other people will buy it. Because if we have this problem, certainly other people have this problem and they skip this really, really important step which you guys did, which is actually go out there and talk to people and validate that these assumptions hold true. And so it sounds like you did pick up some some nuance through this process to make sure that, you know, A, it's worth the investment of you guys going out there and building a software company, but also, you know, B, you know, what is the right tool? What is the right feature set that we need to go to market with? I mean, it sounds like this this process informed that quite a bit. Definitely. And, you know, to your point, um, I think even if you, the problem exists, those nuanced things can be a super expensive thing to get wrong uh, once you've built an entire product and now you have to go back and retroactively try to fix it while you're onboarding customers and churning them out and your MRR is not ramping up as quickly as you thought. It's just not a good situation to be in. So yeah, a little bit of work up front to try and iron out some of those assumptions uh, can definitely pay off in the long run. Were there any other surprises through this process or any kind of ahas around how you approached customer development or how you approached your, your own app that, um, that kind of surprised you? 
Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really important to note, and this is why I think for any of the agencies that are listening that are software curious or that want to build a product, I think it's just a huge opportunity for them is, you know, there came a point in time when we had done so many customer development interviews that each additional interview was just not adding that much extra value. We weren't learning that much from it because we had already gotten like a critical mass of feedback. And so we weren't really necessarily learning a whole lot of new information after a certain amount of interviews. And so we entered this kind of gap where we, we thought the only way to learn more was to now actually go and build something, get users on it, and then really dial into the, the nuances of the UI and all of those kinds of things. And that's still certainly a step that we need to take and we're preparing for it. But what I didn't realize at the time, and we discovered this kind of at a desperation because our we, we started to get backed up on product development. It started taking longer than we thought. I started looking at our runway and our bank account and thinking, this is not good. We need to figure something out here. And so we went out and decided um, to offer some consulting services. So we were gonna manually do what our software is gonna do in the future. So we're helping agencies um, take all of their timesheets and their budgets and we build reports for them. And then we sit down with the owner and we go over those reports and help advise them on what the data means and how they should be taking action in their business. So we decided let's offer this service as a way to get some revenue in so we don't run out of money. Um, But what we discovered was that was a really great way to cross that chasm between customer development and actually having a live product where we were making money, we're learning a lot of nuanced things that we couldn't get from a customer development interview. Um, And we were actually essentially building a service that we could slowly start to backfill through building the software, which was a really eye-opening realization. And so if I think about an agency or a consultancy that wants to do this, the opportunity they have by already having those clients in place, already having access to them and already being paid to give them services is insane because they could really, if you think about it, be getting paid to learn and validate um, a product that they might use to start automating or backfilling part of what they offer to those clients. Nice. That's that's pretty awesome, and I, I love that it came out of necessity. Um, you know, I think they, they, you know necessity is the mother of all learning. So, uh, pushed up against the wall and, and realizing that you were, were were running out of money, it's like, oh, cool, we should do this other thing, and maybe that'll help us bridge the gap. And it turns out to be a major a major bonus. So, uh, cool to to learn a little bit about that, Marcel. This has been fascinating. I mean, it's cool to hear about your app, uh, Parakeeto. It's cool to hear about the process that you took to develop it. Um, I'm a big fan of custom development and all the good things that happen by actually getting out there and interviewing potential customers uh, or or actual customers uh, in your process to add services or, or create products. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that that's uh, something that you are willing to share of actually some of the kind of back of the house of what it took to develop your app. So that's been really cool. And we appreciate you, you sharing that story with our, with our audience, Marcel. Well, I appreciate you having me here to share it. And, uh, I hope that there were some golden nuggets in here for anyone that's listening at home. Oh, there's definitely, there's definitely some good stuff. Uh, are you, are you able to stick around for our, our lightning round? I would love nothing more. Marcel, what is the best advice you've ever received? So this was a really great question. And this is actually something that I think Dan shared with me. Um, He said a business's job is to create 10 times more value than it captures. And that statement kind of changed the way that I think about 
everything that I do in my life. Um, Cause I think it's easy, especially when we're in a scarcity mindset to let value knowledge, you know, whether it's knowledge, money, opportunities kind of stop with us and we try to hold on to them. And that opened my eyes to the idea that, you know, my mission in life and what I should be trying to do is create as much value as possible for everyone around me, for my clients, for my family, for my friends, for the people that I serve. And it's in creating this like pipeline of value that's constantly flowing through me that I can then start to capture just a small bit of that. Um, and it becomes something that never ends and is always growing as opposed to something that's short-sighted and that kind of stops with me. It just really changed my whole perspective around uh, how to approach life and the decisions that I make. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Uh, so for me, it's going to be, I think, my fitness regimen. And the reason is not because it, I mean, it gives me a ton of energy and I think that's necessary for just how much I, I work, but it also has gotten me really used to leaning into discomfort, um, which has been the single most important thing that I've done to push myself. I have a tendency to bite off more than I can chew and then just trust that I'm going to figure it out. And that can be super, super stressful and taxing. And I think that the fact that I go to the gym and make myself uncomfortable almost every day helps me show up in those situations and uh, execute. Can you share an internet resource or a tool or app that you think our listeners would find valuable? Yeah. Can I share a couple? Is that allowed? Sure. As long as it's in the <laughs> context of the lightning round, uh, it is. Okay, cool. So one that I really like that I use every day is called station.io. Um, so it's basically like one app that you can have a bunch of apps in and switch between really quickly. So if you're the kind of person that's on Slack and Trello and Gmail and Google Drive like all day long, uh, it's super, super neat for that. So I love Station. I love Vidyard Go Video. It's something that I use to send personal videos to people um, and record my screen. And it's really great for customer support and personalized video. And the last one is Stormboard, which is like the digital whiteboard I've always wished I had. And finally, my friend Reg uh, developed it and it's free for up to five people collaborating on a tool. So absolutely love Stormboard as well. And what book would you recommend and why? Uh, oh, I've got a couple here too. But in the context of uh, this customer development theme, uh, it's definitely going to be Lean Customer Development by Cindy Alvarez. It's kind of the Bible when it comes to customer development and validation. Nice. We will link out to that book recommendation as well as the tools that you referenced and um, lots of other goodies in our show notes. If you check those out at yougurus.com forward slash podcast and find Marcel's episode on that list. And there'll be some takeaways and some quotes and some high level overviews. So if you want to review this show as well as get those great links uh, to those tools and that book recommendation, check out that on our website. Uh, Marcel, how can our audience find out more about you? And is there anything that you have that they can check out? Absolutely. So uh, they can follow me. I'm most active on Facebook, although I have been a bit of a hermit recently because of <laughs> everything that's going on with Parakeeto. But in terms of resources, uh, I do have something exciting to share with everyone that's listening. If you head over to parakeeto.com slash yougurus, I've put together an agency scaling playbook for you that has all of the best frameworks that I have accumulated and or designed myself from the entire process of doing customer development 
uh, meeting with experts and helping agencies through my consulting practice. So that is uh, definitely a great thing to check out. So again, that's parakeeto.com slash yougurus. And if you want to check out Parakeeto and get on a call and see what it can do and join our pre-release beta, you can head over to parakeeto.com and there's a button there to schedule a time to check it out. And I'd love to chat with you and show you what we're working on. Very cool. Well, we will also link out to that uh, extra resource in our show notes. So again, check that out, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. We'll, we'll provide all those links to you. Uh, Marcel, thank you so much for stopping by the program today. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun and uh, I look forward to meeting some of the listeners, uh, hopefully over a call very soon. All right, that is it for this week's episode of the Digital Agencies Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming at you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agencies Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now, it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge is blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show. 